Welcome to Preaching to Birds and Cats. This homily reflects on the scripture readings for the second Sunday after Epiphany in the Revised Common Lectionary, Year A. Hey friends, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world. These days, my own answer to Jesus' question, what are you looking for, is those peacocks. I spend a lot of time in the snowy woodlot tracking down those feral peafowl who've mysteriously taken up residence on our fruit farm, wondering if they're still alive in these brutal winter conditions, looking to see if they're still staying in the trees or at last in the run-in shed that I've set up for their survival. I want them to be okay, and I'm doing what I can, but their circumstances are mostly outside my control. Truth be told, the peacocks are just a handy anchor for my otherwise nebulous and ever-present worry about all of God's creatures, including you and me, imperiled by circumstances that seem outside most of our control. Actually, the whole truth be told, I am struggling mightily with despair. Despair for the creatures and for me and for the world. That's a hard thing to admit as an ordained faith leader. As an ordained faith leader, I'm called to lead, you know, with faith. Despair doesn't fit my job description, but it is always following me around these days. I thought the peafowl were going to be okay. The chickadees and the wild turkeys and that one rascally rabbit inside our fence, they all seem to be okay. But the winds have been so bitter and the snow so relentless. The mama peahen and her three babies are, they're not okay. They're ragged and it looks like they're likely to lose many of their frostbitten toes. We had a wicked blizzard all last weekend, ice coming at us sideways at 40 miles an hour. Monday morning, when I went to look into the tree where they've been staying and to break the ice on the top of their water bowl, it was like 15 below. There were only three birds there in the tree, not four. It doesn't take much these dark days for me to sink right down into the mire and clay of desperate, hopeless anxiety. And the loss of the peachick, it took me right there, to that dark pit in the psalm. Later in the day, though, I went back out to check on the birds, huddled now in the shed, and the fourth one had appeared. He wasn't okay, though. He couldn't stand for more than a few seconds, and when he tried to stagger away from me, he fell face forward into a drift of snow, a watercolor stain of blood under his wings. I don't know what might have happened to him. Maybe the storm blew him down hard from the tree in the night, or maybe an owl struck in the dark, but somehow 
he escaped? I don't know. After some anguished wondering whether my intervening could make things better or worse for all of us, I decided to bring the poor thing inside. I went back out and found him not far from the snowdrift where I'd left him. I approached him so slowly, whispering the one and only script I know that I've learned from all those scripture scenes of terrifying supernatural interventions that are supposed to bring healing and hope. I whispered over and over, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But of course the bird was afraid. He couldn't escape my gentle scooping up, though. And suddenly I was crossing the barnyard with an armful of shimmering blue and green feathers and wildly big beady eyes. I rang my own doorbell. My dear friend Wendy, who always finds me in the middle of some misadventure when she comes to visit, set aside our lunch and helped me prepare a place for the sad animal in the bathroom. The nice one, the upstairs one with the heated floor. I wondered whether the desire to be alive would overcome the peacock's desire to be anywhere else except my bathroom. I wondered whether it would be more complicated for me if the peacock lived or didn't live. I wondered what I was thinking, bringing this wild thing inside. It had been hard enough to follow his life story anxiously from a distance. But now, worry and possible grief were staying in my house with me. Who am I kidding? Worry and grief have been living in my house for months. Nothing has changed because one poorly peacock was in the upstairs bathroom. If I had been brushing my teeth or washing my hair more of late, I'd have had to do that in the downstairs bathroom, but depression has saved me the trouble of that change. Like the psalmist, I've been crying over and over to God, come and lift me up. Come and lift me up out of the frozen muck of my own life. But I'm not sure I've really meant it because the mire of despair has become the most familiar thing in my life. And like the disciples of John following Jesus around, I want to be where God is, not where I am right now, but I don't know if I can handle the journey from here to there. Like a wild animal, I'm rarely ready for the experience of actually being lifted up out of my own misery by a power greater than myself. Salvation, it seems, isn't always easy to live into, even when salvation comes from God's mercy. Salvation seems to me and to the psalmist and to the baptizer a pretty big and powerful and alarming affair. I think about all those times when I've tried to do something to help some other creature. You know, those occasions of picking up the turtle from its stupid stopping place on the double yellow line and then swooping it through the air into the grass on the far side of the highway. 
or those occasions of collecting all the drowning earthworms from the sidewalk and putting them under a shrub on higher ground, or those occasions of coaxing a lost dog to follow along to the car, making kissy noises and holding out pieces of bread or whatever was in my lunch bag. Whenever I do some terrifying, merciful, incomprehensible thing in the life of some other desperate creature, knowing that it likely cannot know that its life is being saved and that I'm being as gentle as I possibly can when I know they don't understand the words I keep saying, you're safe, you're safe, it's okay, you're safe. I wonder, is this how it is with God and us sometimes? We pray for God to act in mercy, to save us, to lift us up. But can we always understand what's happening when God does respond to our cries, to our need? And we want to be where God is. But what if we can't comprehend what we see, the alien landscape of a warm farmhouse or the mysteries of a locked upper room? What when we can't understand how much mercy and hope are in the heart of the one who would save us and lift us up? Sometimes in order to be lifted up, in order to follow the one who brings healing in his wings, we end up having to go places we've never seen before, places we didn't think we'd have to go, led to places we can't fully understand. Yes, God meets us where we're at, finds us where we have fallen, but blessedly, God doesn't usually let us stay there. John's disciples didn't get to stay where they were at with him at the River Jordan. But they must have been people motivated by a desire to be lifted up out of the muck of their own lives. They'd been asking John to lead them toward repentance and toward healing. And then the Lamb of God happens to pass their way, and their own teacher, John, says, there's your guy, salvation, five o'clock, and they follow him sheepishly. But I don't know if they plan to actually go where he's going. They just want to ask him. They just ask him where he's staying, probably hoping that a word will do, hoping for a straightforward answer that will let them know just enough about who he really is and what he's about. But Jesus isn't going to let them off that easy. Come and see, he says. You want to know where I'm staying? Come and see. If I had heard those words with my own ears, oh, I can imagine my trembling, hesitant, stray dog soul and my wild bird mind weighing that invitation, the offered bread, the hope of shelter, against all my existential 
anxiety. Why with God must there always be this business of getting from here to there? Here to there. I guess it's because that's the only way we can find what we are looking for. The only way to get to where God is staying. The only way out of the desolate pit. The only way to that high and solid ground where we will find our footing again. When we get ourselves from here to there, like the disciple Andrew, or when we just get picked up and brought from here to there, like Simon Peter, or like the peacock stuck in my house, we sometimes find that by God's grace, we have ended up in a place that will give us life. I named this peacock Pascal. That adjective that describes anything that has something to do with the resurrection. I named him not knowing whether he would live or die here in my bathroom. I am working really hard these days to separate my business from God's business, so I did everything I could for the creature. Cooked oatmeal, mixed electrolytes, made a steam bath with medicine in it, all the while chanting to myself, Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's possession. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's possession. Tuesday morning, I found Pascal standing up on his own feet, looking warily at me. And that evening, he took food while I watched him. By Thursday, he seemed pretty much himself for a peacock, recovered, though I can't say how and I can't say from what. But then he found a new song of praise to sing to God, and it was a loud one, and so I figured it was time for him to go back to his life out in the world. Once again, I I bent low and I scooped him up, which was not what he wanted at all, and I carried him from here to there, this time out into the world. The other peafowl, Priscilla, his mother, Temple, his sister, and the one chick whose name I don't know yet, we're just calling him the twin because he looks exactly like Pascal, they ran out of the shed and into the woodlot before they could see that I had their flockmate alive in my arms. When I set him down in the snow, he stood unmoving with his head tilted and his shining little eye locked on mine for a longish moment. And then he flapped up into the rafters, looking once again like the Fra Angelico painting of the manger scene, only it was just me standing below him in my pajama pants and a parka. It was hard to have carried him from here to there, when there was back out in the cold and the wind. Hard to turn him back over to the spaces in creation over which I have little or no control. I wondered if God's heart sometimes feels like mine was feeling then. I wondered if there might be any mysterious animal way that Pascal's mother and nestmates could ask him, Where have you been staying? I mean, 
honeybees can dance the story of precisely where they've been for their hive mates, right? And I wondered, if Pascal could, would he respond, you should come and see. I wondered what the future holds for him and for me. I stood up and I did the only other thing I could think of and said a blessing over him. I say it again here, over you and over me too. May God strengthen you to go where you must go and bear what you must bear in order to receive that healing mercy God has in store for you. May God go with you from here to there.